Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church podcast. For more information about Redemption Church, please visit redemptionokc.com. You can stay up to date on sermons by subscribing to our podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Good morning, friends. We are glad that you are here together with us. Uh, We were really honored that you're streaming our service and that you're participating with us, even as we can't be in the same room together, but long to be together in this season as a church and as a city, as a really just as a a common humanity that hungers to be together, yet is living, so many of us at least, in isolation right now. And obviously, we're learning new ways of navigating this whole thing. Uh, There's lots of funny stuff flying out on the internet. I saw this picture this week of the Last Supper of Jesus, and I think that will be on the screen there for you to look at, and it feels a little bit different if Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples had to be celebrated through Zoom, right? Uh, It's a funny thing to think about, but it's not quite the same thing. It's not quite the communal meal that we anticipate or that we remember that to be. And so there's feels like there's a loss. And honestly, for me, even right here, right now, I just feel a sense of loss that we can't be together. I think it's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2, he said, but since we were torn away from you, different circumstances for Paul, but he says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart. We endeavored the more eagerly and with a great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I mean, I feel the same way. It feels like we've been torn away from one another for a season and I desire to be with you face to face. And I was just thinking this week about all the things I miss, even just about Sundays and coming in and seeing the smiles of our host team, uh, seeing our serve teams that are uh, busily working to make sure everything's just right for when everyone gets there. The, the sound of people just laughing it, laughing it up before and after service, kids running through the halls. I mean, I, I miss high fives with little dudes and little gals that uh, run past me in the mornings. I, I miss uh, Miss Donna's laugh. Last week when I was uh, preaching, and my family was watching the sermon, and I said something, a, a certain kind of a joke or something, offhanded comment there in the middle of our uh, of, of the sermon, my kids looked at me and went, Miss Donna would have laughed right then. And there's just this sense of something missing when we can't be together in the same room. I miss being in lines at communion, coming up and seeing pockets of people taking communion together, and after church, seeing people pray for those that have needs and uh, and just laugh and, and have fellowship together. And, and so there's a longing for those days. And I just pray that, that, that this time increases our hunger to be together. I pray that when we finally get to be together, that it increases our joy in, in that moment and when we're able to do that again and actually see each other and be together face to face. I pray that, that it just raises the value of our community, of our fellowship and our ability to, to hang in there together and be, uh, be alongside one another. Friends, I think it's important for us to remember that in the season and we're gonna need to persevere and we're gonna need each other. And so can I just encourage you and lean in even, even to the screens, lean into the Zoom meetings, lean into the services and the ways in which we do try to connect. Let's still be together as much as we are able and let's long all the more to be together face to face. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, even though my friends are not all by my side, I know that you are by my side. That you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are ever present 
in our lives. And so, Father, we, we come to you. And we know that, that we can talk to you as a friend, that you love to meet with us, you love to listen to us, that none of our words escape your ear. And so we just come in this season of feeling isolated from one another, and, and we just acknowledge Father, that, that this feels broken, that it feels like something that is good has been taken away from us and we long to see it restored. Father, we, we long to see much in our world restored. We, still, we long to see the health of literally thousands restored. Father, we long to see sanity restored in the chaos of the moment. Father, we long to see healthcare workers that, that are thriving and not having to operate in fear. Father, we, we just ask for your mercy in this time that you would that you would stay this illness, Father, that you would turn the tide on it, that you would that you would heal people for your glory and for their good, Father, that you would uh, give wisdom to scientists and those that are working behind the scenes to come up with a cure. Father, we just we ask that you would provide for 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 your people, those that bear your image all around this globe. Father, I pray uh, that for those who feel alone today. Father, I pray for those who are in fear, for those who are under stress, for those who feel the weight of, of trying to run a business that can't run as it needs to. Father, I pray for families that are at odds with one another and that tensions are, are building. And Father, would you just give us patience? Would you give us the fruit of the Spirit that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control would be evident in our lives, even under the pressures that we all feel. Father, mostly would you give us your presence? Would you care for us right where we are? Would you convince us deep down that you are by our side, that you'll never leave us for, or nor forsake us, but that your steadfast love endures forever? Father, and we, we trust that is true because of Christ and through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 23. We are going to continue our study of the life of David today. And while you're turning there, let me share with you a couple of statements from another story of mine that's one of my favorites, which is the Fellowship of the Ring uh, from the, the great series, The Lord of the Rings. And in that story, they too faced a great trial. In fact, it was kind of an end of the world apocalyptic sort of a battle that was, that was in front of them. And theirs was truly kind of end of the world kind of stuff. And in tough seasons, as the season we're in, and you often grow weary of the days and you understand that these things happen. You know that, that because you've read enough history that life unfolds and hard times come, you just wish they happened to someone else and not to you. And that's kind of where we pick up the story, the Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, the Hobbit, Frodo Baggins, is talking to the great old wizard Gandalf, and he's kind of bemoaning the season that they're in and how hard it is. And he has this to say. Frodo says, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf replies, so do I. And so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. And I so relate to that feeling with Frodo, where he just looks at the times he's in and says, man, I wish, I understand these times have to happen. I just wish it happened at a different season or it happened to someone else. And, uh, but Gandalf offers great wisdom. 
It just says you, you don't get to choose your circumstances, but you get to choose how you're going to live your days. What are you going to do with the time you have? And so that's really where we find ourselves. And that's what I want us to talk about today is let's decide well what we're going to do with the time we've been given in the midst of the circumstances in which we find ourselves. And let's seek the Lord even in this. So here's the question we're going to tackle today. When, it, when every day feels like a battle, how do you persevere? When, when every day feels like you're, you're having to go to battle to make it happen, how, where do you go to find perseverance? That's the question we're going to look at today. What we're going to see is three things that you need to seek in order to persevere. And so in 1 Samuel 23, we're going we're gonna to see what we can learn about persevering in the daily battles of life. 1 Samuel 23, starting in verse 1, says, Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Yes, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men came and said to him, Behold, we are very much afraid, even here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hands. And David and his men went to Keilah, and they fought the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So we have this story of this battle that unfolds, and what you see in this, uh, in this passage is really the outworking of what began last, in the last chapter, that David is beginning to step into his role as a leader, into his role as a king of the people. And this, uh, this farming community of Keilah has been under siege to the Philistine army, and the Philistines are coming and taking all of their crops so that they have no way to sustain themselves, and they're being taken advantage of. And so this, is, uh, this community is just about three miles south of Adullam. David, you may remember from, from last week and from 1 Samuel 22, David's been in the caves of Adullam, and there he was surrounded by 400 men who were kind of outcasts of society, that they came to David and made him their commander, and that becomes David's army and the core of his, of his nation. And so David is starting to think like a leader, and he hears, he hears reports that this little village of Keilah has been overtaken by the Philistines, and so David goes and he prays and says, Lord, should I go and, should I go and fight the Philistines on behalf of your people? And the Lord says, yes. Now, this, this kind of ragtag army, this inexperienced army, this group that has just come together around David, they kind of look at David and go, ah, I'm not so sure. And so they begin to kind of back up and go, look, we're a little afraid, even right here, hiding in this perfectly uh, defensible cave, we're, we're not sure we need to go kind of go, go pick a fight with an army uh, of the nation of Philistia that's well experienced in battle. And so they get a little bit afraid. It's interesting that David, he isn't arrogant. He doesn't just shut his men down. He doesn't kind of mock them as being cowardly. But he takes that and says, well, maybe I need to explore this a little further. And he sets a good example of them. He actually goes and prays a second time and says, Lord, did I, did I hear you correctly? Do you want us to go and do this? And he seeks instruction from the Lord by praying again. And God says, yes, go and save these people and sends them back in. And they're victorious. And so they're able to go. And, and it says David in, in verse 5, says David saved his people. And so he becomes known as the savior of the people. And this is interesting because in just the chapter previous, Saul, who was actual, the actual king, had been the tormentor to the people, but now David is beginning to step into his role. And you really see this transition from Saul the king to now David, who's functioning and acting as a king. But you see, the first thing you need to be in order to persevere in tough times is you need to seek direction from the word of God. 
The, the first way we persevere in the daily battles is to seek direction from the word of God. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You can't trust yourself all the time. You really need to acknowledge the Lord and run to him and seek direction from him. And that's what we see David do on multiple occasions. Verse six, the very next verse, it feels a little bit like a throwaway verse, but let me show you why this verse is important. Verse six, it says, when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David, fled to David to Keilah, he came down with an ephod in his hand. Now, that, that may seem like just a bit of detail that, that's not that important, but here's what you need to realize. Abiathar was the priest uh, that when Saul had tried to annihilate the priesthood in chapter 22, Abiathar was the one priest that escaped, and he came to David and fled to be with David. There, there's actually a kind of an implied thing there of the word of God that Saul should have been the on, and Saul had actually tried to eradicate, now had gone and was under David's care. And the ephod that it mentions there is an implement that God had said, with this will go my presence, and the word of God will be communicated through this means. And so that becomes symbolic of being able to hear the voice of God. And so Saul's been cut off from the voice of God, David's embraced the voice of God, and he's going to hear that. And that actually makes all the difference in this entire passage. Once side has the word of God and the other is void of it. And so this, uh, this, this Saul is going to then come and try to kill David. And David is going to be able to inquire of the Lord again. And the Lord is going to save David and his people and the people of Keilah again. And so the word of God three times now has been evident in saving David and, and his men. Now, here's what I know for us. None of us are likely to have an ephod. And none of us are likely to feel as important in God's salvation, or plan of salvation history as David is. And so we may not feel like we have access to that kind of instruction or that kind of clarity that David has. And yet David's access was through a, a human priest and he was dependent upon that. I mean, do, you know, and then when you think about where we come from, and do we not also have access to God through a priest? Do we not also have access to one who is actually far greater than Abiathar? Uh, that's what the New Testament means when it calls Jesus our great high priest. That in Christ, we actually have a priest who is, who is beyond, uh, beyond Abiathar. And so Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says this, Since then we, as followers of Jesus, have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, there's truth that we can hold on to. We have a great high priest who's closer to us and has greater access to God than even Abiathar did. And so that ought to encourage us, even in, our, in this season, that whenever we face our daily battles, we can seek the Lord for direction and we can find guidance there. So what happens next in the story? Saul hears that David is in Keilah, and uh, it's interesting through this whole thing. They, these guys both seem to have very good intelligence networks. Like they had people planted everywhere because they're constantly hearing about the movements of, uh, of kind of what's happening in, the, in this, this battle scene. And so Saul goes and hears that David is there and uh, it begins to, to, to move out his armies to go and attack David and this city again. 
Now it's interesting here that David is going to, going to have, a, have to learn a hard leadership lesson. That this group of people that, that he's called the savior of in Keilah, this is actually his own people. This is the people of Judah. And so this is his tribe. This is his group. These are people he should be able to count on. He's actually just risked his life and the lives of his men to save them. And yet they're going to betray him. And so David is going to find that they make a, an efficient choice, a logical choice, a calculated choice of self-provision to say, you know, we're going to rely on Saul the king as opposed to defending you, David. And so they're going to be willing to hand David over. And David prays about that. And, and uh, God reveals to him that, uh, that, that they are going to betray him and hand him over to Saul. So David and his men flee and leave that place. Friends, it's hard to navigate our trials, which is why we need direction from God. It's hard in the midst of just the ups and downs of lives and the ins and outs and giving your, your life away for people that maybe they, they, don't, they don't act as you think they should or even as they really ought to. And in the midst of that, we have to learn to trust something more stable, which is the Lord. And, and let's be honest, I think for us, most of the time, uh, our lives have just been really easy. For, for most of us, I think we, we're able to navigate kind of in suburban America and this day and age that our lives have typically been fairly easy to navigate. But right now, I just sense that when I look in people's eyes, I see more concern there right now than I've ever seen in my lifetime. When, when I sit down and I talk with, with my friends and when I see the, the people, even, even through a Zoom screen, when, when, I, when I dialogue with my, my small group and when I have a leadership meeting and when I inter interact with people, I just see this concern and this weight and this fear that's just present in us right now. And, and we need something stronger than ourselves to lean on, just as David did. I think David was also afraid. When you think about David in this, in this time, and David was weary. He was constantly on the run. We're gonna see that Saul was literally chasing him every single day. And so he's weary, he was confused. God had promised him that one day he would be king, and yet now he's just on the run with this group of outcasts hiding in the wilderness. He was scared. Um, he's literally afraid for his life. He's helpless. He can't fight back. Ethically, it was against his moral code to fight back against the king that God had anointed. And so he was kind of helpless and his hands were tied even to retaliate and fight back in this situation. He was angry because he was innocent. People that he defended and saved against their enemies have now betrayed and turned against him. I think he was stressed. Uh, here's a guy who had no income. I and mean, then yet, well, we, that group of 400 actually grown to 600. So he's got 600 mouths to feed and no way to provide for them. I think he was lonely. He was away from friends, away from family, away from mentors, away from sounding boards and those that he trusted and confidants. And so David, in this moment of difficulty, really, um, I think, felt felt very much afraid. And yet in the midst of it, you see that the Lord is by his side in it all. And that's the thing that we needed. What David needed more than, more than anything else was he needed to know that the Lord was by his side. And we see that throughout this passage. And so in verse 12, David seeks direction from the Lord again. It says, uh, will, the men of, will the men of Keilah... Uh, we're, verse 12. David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul. And the Lord said, yes, they will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country, in the wilderness of Ziph. And, God saw, and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. 
Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And I love, I love that sentence. I love the statement that it makes and what it means for us. And when your back is against the wall, you need truth that you can count on. You need something bigger than yourself that you can depend on. And David found himself in a place looking for security. And what we see through this whole passage is groups of people looking for security in different things. You see the, the Keelites that are looking for security in Saul. And you see David having to run to the Lord for security. And really, there's what we have to acknowledge is there's a lot of places that we personally seek false security. And we seek false security in our finances, in our health, in our family, in our, in our politics, in the stability of, of our country and the way things are going to work in the world. And all those are, give us a false sense of security. And that's what you see with this group of people too. But also love that it says Saul sought him every day. Ever, I think it's important to realize that this is a daily battle. That every day we choose to put our trust in something. Every day we choose to look for to someone or something for, secu- for, secu- for our own security. And so in that daily battle, that kind of moment by moment battle that we wage, we have to decide where we're going to look for comfort. Where we're going to look for strength. Where we're going to look for, uh, for stability. And that's why we need to know another key phrase. It's not just that we need, to, we need to fight a battle every day, but we need to know the phrase, but God. An enemy sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. See, who was, who was ultimately in charge in this scenario? Saul thought he was in charge. In fact, Saul looked up and said, oh, I got him. I know where he is. We've pinpointed him. I want all the details. And he puts his network out. He says, I want you to go hunt David down. Tell me exactly where he is. We finally got him. And yet we're going to see God's going to, God has another plan. That, that Saul does not ultimately have the final say. And David was afraid, but he let his fear drive him to exercise greater faith. And so even among, even on the run, on the run, hiding from his own people and not safe from Saul, he never escapes the shelter of God. God's got his back. God's always looking out for him. And so, friends, when you think about just this phrase, but God, and we think about our circumstances that we're in, what would it look like for you just to, just to fill in the blank and say, you know, we were, we were pressured every day, but God. Like, how, how would you, if you had a blank there and you just said, I, I need to know where God's gonna show up in my life and, and you wanna acknowledge how you, fear, how you feel, I think it's important to, to think about that. Just say, man, we were stressed every day, but God. We were panicked every day, but God. We were afraid every day, but God. We were increasing in debt every day, but God. We were insecure or lonely or whatever it is that you feel right now, whatever it is that in this season keeps bubbling up in your heart, that thing that, and it just feels like this constant beat that's coming out of your heart right now that is increasing your anxiety and your stress and your worry. I think you just need to label it and say, in the midst of all of this stuff, I need to say, but God did not give up on me. God did not give him into his hand. And so David, that becomes the strength for David and the things, the truth that he can hold on to in the midst of this. So the first thing we need to seek is direction from the word of God. But there's another way we need to seek to persevere in our daily battles, and that's to seek strength in the encouragement of friends. David here in this, uh, this passage is accompanied by a friend at a very key time in his life. Verse 15 says, David saw Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horash. And David and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horash and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, 
For the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. And isn't it a remarkable thing that Jonathan shows up right at this moment? I love, you know, in Proverbs, it talks about a friend that sticks closer, to, closer than a brother. And Jonathan is that friend for David. It talks about, you know, it's better a friend nearby than a brother who's far away. And Jonathan comes and is nearby David in this moment of crisis. And Jonathan says, I'm not going to hand you over. He's, Jonathan's picked his side. He says, my, my side's going to be with the guy that the Lord's on. Uh, I'm going I'm to run to him. And so he, let me, let me just show you what true friendship looks like in Jonathan and what encouragement looks like when we practice it in friendship. The first thing you see is encouragement from Jonathan comes in the form of physical presence. Jonathan risks his life and, and, and really exposed himself to great danger in order to be with David. Jonathan went to where David was. And so David fleeing, and, and actually David's kind of at the end of his rope. He's in this wilderness place. He, he's kind of run as far as he can in hiding. And Jonathan says, no, I'm gonna go to you. And he physically is present with David. Now, let me just acknowledge something. We're not allowed to be physically present with one another right now. And so you, there ought to be a little bit of tension for us, even as we think, how do I live that out? And I would just say, you get as close as you can. You, you be as present as you can. You connect in any way you can, apart from, you know, but, but still being six feet apart. And so social distancing aside, and physical presence makes a difference. And what it communicates is, I want to be with you. That the, the danger and the difficulty you're in, I'm, in it, I'm there too. The, the struggle that you're feeling, I'm, I feel that too. I, I've picked a side and I'm, I'm with you in the midst of your struggle. That's an encouraging thing. It's a physical presence is the first thing we see there. The second is emotional awareness. And this is what Jonathan says to him. He says, David, do not fear. And David, Jonathan was sensitive to the needs of his friends. He, he had been considerate. You know what it means to be considerate? It means that you consider the needs of the other person. You consider their feelings. You consider where they are in life and, and their experiences and their circumstances. You, you kind of put their shoes on your own feet and say, let me walk with you in this. And so he's emotionally aware and he says to him, David, do not fear. And the last, play, the last way that Jonathan encourages David is he gives him spiritual promises. Notice the phrase that he uses. He says he strengthened his hand in God. And what happens when you're afraid? What happens to your hands? You ever, you ever start to shake when you're having a, you get in a dangerous situation? Ever been in a deal where your life was truly threatened and you find yourself just shaking? And so David's hands were shaking and Jonathan was aware of that. And it says that he strengthened his hand. He was there to help calm David's fear. And in the midst of this, Friends, I think it's important for us to say, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to do away with this American notion that we're invincible and that we're bulletproof. This idea that, that we're untouchable, this idea that nothing can harm us and that we need to kind of put on this front that says, hey, I'm capable of living, I'm capable of navigating all of life on my own. Because it's just not true. And here we see this warrior leader, King David, and his hands are shaking as he, as he realizes this and his friend comes along to him and, 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 and comforts him in the Lord. Friends, only God is indestructible. You're not. You can be taken down by a microscopic virus that you can't see. There are real things in our world that ought to cause our hands to shake in some ways. 
that, that, that ought to cause us fear because we're not strong enough to do them. But ultimately, that causes us not to rely upon ourselves, but to run to the Lord. And so David, or Jonathan says, strengthen David's hands in God. And so that's a huge thing that he didn't just try to solve the problem on his own. See, so often when we come to encourage our friends, what we do is, hey, let me show you how to fix this. You know, it's like Jonathan could have come and he could have sat down in the dirt and say, hey, let me carve out a battle plan and kind of map this thing out and show you how to win this next battle. The problem was there was still going to be another battle and another battle and another battle and Jonathan couldn't always be there. So Jonathan needed to somehow attach David to a strength and a source stronger than Jonathan, who could always be there, and that was the Lord. And sometimes I think we're tempted when we try to encourage people with words of how we're going to solve something or how they can fix a situation. And ultimately what we need to do, though, is we need to point them to the truth of God. Encouragement from God for the people of God comes from the word of God, one man said. See, God's words are the greatest encouragement we can offer to others. Remember a friend of mine several years ago, I was just going through a situation, and in the middle of that situation, he was just wrestling with kind of this tension as a young leader and, and, and facing some hardship and some difficulties. And I remember just going to and realizing, man, this guy is really, really up against the wall right now, and he isn't sure what to do. And just it passed some information along to him that really pointed him to Jesus. And years later, I remember coming back when, when we had to part ways, and he told me, he said, you know one thing I, I will never forget? He says, when I was at my most dire, when I was really struggling, you didn't come in and try to fix it. You just slid something under my door that encouraged me to go to Jesus, and I learned a lesson in that. I learned I needed to run to him and that God would be by my side, and that was a greater lesson than any, any leadership lesson you could have given me in that moment. Friends, I think it's important that we learn to find strength in the Lord. And so Jonathan simply reaffirms God's promise to David. And God's promises, I think, are, are, are the thing that we hold on to when we need to persevere in the midst of trials. Friends, I, I think in this season, there's just this kind of uncovering for us that we're realizing we're not self-sufficient, that we're realizing we're not bulletproof, that we're realizing and there's weakness in us that, that we can't really pretend to hide anymore. And, and I'm, I'm praying that that's actually a good thing. That in some ways, that, that kind of un that kind of opening up of what's inside of us causes us to run to the Lord and seek to be strengthened in Him. And maybe some of us for the first time are gonna cling to some promises that take on new meaning in the midst of our trials that say, the Lord is my strength, the Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my strong tower. And those phrases that maybe didn't mean a lot to you before, now maybe they just come to life and that, that they, they begin to take on new meaning for us. So friends, what we need to do for one another in this season, I think, is somehow take the shaking hands of our brothers and our sisters and put them and strengthen them in, in the hand of God. Help them to take hold of the, of the Lord in the midst of that time. Now, for David, I think it's, it's interesting in the midst of uh, this scenario, the timing of this. This takes place, this, this encouragement of Jonathan takes place right at a critical moment. And so David's had to flee from Keilah and he's about to go and, and be betrayed by another group of people called the Ziphites. And so between these two betrayals, between these two people that, that do David wrong and both of them caught, risking David's life, Jonathan shows up right at the key moment, right at that time to offer a word of encouragement. And it makes me ask the question, what would have happened if Jonathan hadn't shown up? Like, what, what is the potential impact that could have been there? I mean, maybe David would have given up. 
What if Jonathan had not been there at the moment to, uh, to, to just build him up and remind him of the Lord's promises? Maybe David's depression would have set in. Maybe fear would have overtaken him. Maybe he would have shrunk back and not done what he should have done. But the Lord used Jonathan in that moment to meet this kind of critical need of encouragement in David's life that helped him to persevere. And as I think about that for us, I just don't want us to miss opportunities. I think some of us need to get off the sidelines and run to some friends and just say, man, let me be the word of encouragement to remind you what is true of you, that the Lord loves you, the Lord's by your side, the Lord's gonna take you through this and, and remind us of the truth that we can hold on to in this season. Uh, that's good news for us. And so that's the second way that we, thing that we seek is we need to persevere in our daily battles. Let me give you the third. <clears throat> the third is that we seek hope in the rescue of the Lord. I mentioned earlier the Ziphites. This group of, uh, of people really uh, betray David, and they don't even betray him. There's really not even a reason to betray them other than they think they can become connected a little more to Saul. And so it's just a, a self-serving way in which for them to try to prosper themselves as they seek to, uh, to unite themselves with King Saul. But David, in this moment, is it says he's in Horesh, which is a wilderness desert, kind of down by the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea, <clears throat> geographically, is the, the lowest place on earth. David has fled literally as far as he can go within the nation of Israel. There is nowhere else for him to turn. He's, he's run and run and run and come to the very end of where he can run to. And so he's, he's at the end and there's no place else for him to turn except to the Lord. And here he's betrayed again by these, this group of people in the Ziphites. In verse 19 it says, Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshimon. Now come down, O king, according to all, the, all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Imagine how this would be for David. But this group of people, the Ziphites that are of his own tribe, have, you know, for no, no cause whatsoever betrayed him to Saul and said they're going to hand him over. And so, uh, right in this moment, in fact, in Psalm 54, David, uh, David's going to write a psalm out of this season. And that is Psalm 54. And in, in Psalm 54, he describes how he felt about these guys. In fact, the subscript Psalm 54 says that David wrote this when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? So David kind of at the top of the song says, hey, I wrote this when these guys betrayed me. Verse three says, for strangers have arisen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. He understands that this is a spiritual battle, that these are men who are betraying him, but it's because they're not walking with the Lord. It's because they don't see what God is up to in the midst of this situation. So David understands that. And like Jesus, he was encircled by evil foes. He was betrayed by those who should have befriended him. And he was handed, being handed over to those who sought his death. And so David understands the reality of, of what's happening here. And then Back in 1 Samuel 23, let's look at the, I want you to feel the tension as this scene kind of mounts. Verse 26, so Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry, come, the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place is called the Rock of Escape. 
And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So you have this scenario of these two mountains that David finds himself between. And on one mountain is David, the other mountain is Saul. And God is going to intervene between the two of them in order to protect and to rescue David. And in fact, this becomes a famous memorial of God's rescue and his deliverance. And so they call it the rock of escape. And the word there means to divide or to part, meaning that David and Saul parted ways because the Lord had shown up and created a way of escape, intervening to protect David. But you feel the tension of it that it says when Saul was, just when Saul was closing in, that just at the moment where David would finally come to the place where there was nowhere else to go, God shows up. How does he show up? He shows up in the form of a messenger that comes to Saul and says the Philistines are attacking our people. And so he, he has to take his army and flee and go to protect the rest of the nation. Friends, how many times has God intervened for us and we wrote it off as chance or luck or just good timing? Man, how many times has God shown up for us and provided a way of deliverance or a way of escape and, and we wrote it off as not a, not a big deal? And yet here in this, in this critical moment of David's life, God shows up in a way that was truly miraculous when there was no other way of escape for David. And yet <clears throat> it's something that easily could have been written off. But if you read the text and you look at David's life, you know that he saw it as a way of escape. In fact, in Psalm 54, 54.4, it says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. David wrote uh, right after this event. Friends, have you ever been there before? Stuck in a predicament where you didn't know your way out? Stuck in a predicament where you felt like, man, there's no way of escape here. There, there's no opportunity for me to navigate these waters and for me to simply manage my, my way around this, this set of circumstances. We need to know that the Lord is there to rescue us, that the Lord is there to intervene for us, that we can count on him, that we, that we will continually see the Lord provide for us in different ways, even if it's, if it's ultimately to deliver us to be with him in eternity that the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us, but he will constantly show up as our deliverer when we need it. Here's an interesting fact. It says David in this, um, leaves there and he goes off and he, the chapter winds up and he's in a place called Engedi. Engedi is the spring of the goats and it's kind of more a mountain area and it's where there's this natural springs that, that fed the goats and they were able to enjoy and it's kind of a, a respite there in a pretty desolate sort of a place. And one guy said this after visiting uh, that area and remember the Dead Sea was kind of the lowest place on earth and it's a place where there's just there's nothing alive there and there's desert and it's a pretty dry place and yet above there, they're nearby. There are the the um, this place called Engedi, which is the springs of the goats. And one guy said, "You can see the Dead Sea from Engedi, but you can't see Engedi from the Dead Sea." It's pretty fascinating. From from the place of uh, of the Dead Sea, you can't see the goodness. You just see the hard place. You see the rough place. You see you see the dry place. But later on, once you've been delivered from that low spot, once you've been raised up to the heights of God's provision, and you look back down, you're able to see you're able to see the course that God had path had had made for you. I think it's important for us to recognize that that oftentimes in the midst of the trial, all we see is the trial. 
But hindsight, looking back, once God's delivered us, we look back and we see how God has worked to bring about our escape. And that's what David does. He looks and he sees that God delivered him through this messenger and provided a way of escape even in the midst of that time. So friends, we have to seek hope in the rescue of the Lord. That that's, that's where our ultimate hope lies. After this whole, this whole experience and this whole set of events, David writes in Psalm 18, he, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And do you feel the confidence that David has looking back? See, see, once he's been delivered out of the circumstances, he looks back at him and says, man, I see how God carried me out of this, which is why they, they made that a memorial to God's provision and called it the rock of escape. God was the one that was the rescuer. God was the one he could count on. God was the one that he would run to time and time again. And friends, God's the one we have to run to. God's the one we have to trust. God's the one we have to depend on in the midst of, in the midst of diff, a difficult season. And next week, we come to Easter. Easter is the celebration of God's ultimate rescue. Easter is the celebration of the time when we know for sure that the rescue of the Lord has come to us. And it came through the provision of a savior. Uh, not just an outside word of someone that distracts all for a time, but it comes from, from a God who came from outside of our world to our world. He became one of us who sacrificed and gave his life for us through his death and through his resurrection in order to bring about our ultimate rescue so that we can forevermore say, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. So that we know without a shadow of a doubt that my God, my rock is a refuge for me. And friends, it's important that you know that in this day. And so and I encourage you, just as you explore, if you don't know the Lord, if in this season, all you feel is the, I'm not sure what to do with my life part of the, the equation, and you don't yet know the, but God will deliver me part of the equation, would you seek him? Would you make this the day that you just say, but God, where are you in this? And you run to him and you learn to trust him uh, because he will be for you a refuge just as he was for David, just as he was for us. And we're gonna count on that. We'll be able to celebrate that next week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, you are good. Father, you are trustworthy. You will never abandon us. Father, even in the trials of life that feel like daily battles where we are constantly needing to seek per perseverance. Father, we trust that you are by our side in it all. Father, would you, help, would you help each of us just to seek the truth of your word that we could depend on it? Would you help us to seek the encouragement of friends that we can trust in the midst of just the difficulty? Would you bring friends our way at key moments where, where we just feel like we're coming undone? Father, mostly would you cause us to seek you as our rescuer, as our king. For, for Jesus, your son is, our, is your provision and is our salvation and is our deliverance forevermore. Father, we pray this in his name. Amen.